This morning comes from the book of Esther and the Old Testament, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Please listen for the word of God. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city, wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and decree came, there was great mourning among the Jewish people with fasting and weeping and lamenting. Most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might remove his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Amen had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to the message you have for us within it. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Today on Mother's Day, we remember and we celebrate all of those who have had a mothering presence in our lives. Friends, teachers, parents of all kinds, and we give thanks for them. I uh, had an important person in my life growing up that wasn't related biologically, but who had a mothering presence in my life, and her name is Vicki. I called Vicki my other mother, I still do, and she's just one of those people who has been a wonderful mothering presence. And she always has been. I, I met Vicki when I was just a tiny baby, and when I was maybe six or seven years old, I was feeling especially thankful for her presence in my life, and so I decided I wanted to get her a special gift. Now, at this time in my own life and in the world, the coolest thing that existed on the planet was a Cabbage Patch Kid doll. 
Does anybody remember these things? <laughs> They're these funky little dolls, and uh, they were just the most awesome thing. And I wanted a Cabbage Patch doll so badly in my life. So I uh, decided that I wanted to get a gift for Vicky, and in my six- or seven-year-old brain, I was thinking, well, what might she want? And all I could think about was, well, a Cabbage Patch Kid doll, if I want it desperately, everyone must want it desperately. And so I gathered all of my saved-up money, and I remember very clearly going to the Toys R Us with a bag full of coins. And this poor cashier, I dumped these coins out all on the counter with the Cabbage Patch Kid, and I bought Vicky a Cabbage Patch Kid doll. Now, Vicky received this with such generosity and love, and she put it on her shelf, and I'm pretty sure it's still there today. She kept it for all of these years, and she was so grateful. But I know now, looking back, that that's probably not the gift that she would have actually wanted. I'm sure she would have much preferred to have had a coffee gift certificate or a spa day or something like that, but she was so generous in receiving it. Gift-giving can be really hard, and it can often reveal a lot about the giver. We have begun this series this month on the book of Esther, this beautiful, mysterious book found partway through our Old Testament. And this book has so much depth and so much mystery, and I've encouraged you all to take some time during this month to read it on your own. Some of you already have. You've shared that with me. It's only 10 chapters, so you can do it in a sitting. Um, But it's a really, really fascinating book. And we talked last week about one of the reasons that it is so unique is that it is the only book of the Bible that the name of God does not show up. Nowhere in the book of Esther is God explicitly named. So the challenge that we have have come to through this series is to ask ourselves, well, where do we see God? And where might God be moving beneath and behind and around the story. The text that uh, Chris read for us just a moment ago comes at the beginning of chapter 4. And at this point in the story, we are following this group of Jewish people that are living as cultural and religious outsiders in the Persian city of Susa. And the powerful king in that city has selected Esther to be his new queen and does not know that she is from this Jewish community. Esther's cousin Mordecai had brought her up since she had been orphaned, and Mordecai has checked in with her at the palace gates every day to make sure that she is faring well. And we had recently discovered before this text today that a new official was raised up in power in the kingdom named Haman. And everyone was ordered to bow down to Haman and pay him respect. But Mordecai refused. And so Haman had convinced the king at this point to send out a ruling, an edict to the entire land that all of the Jewish people would be killed on a certain day of a certain month. So when this order goes out, Mordecai is, of course, devastated. And as we read today, he tears his clothes, he puts on sackcloth, rubs himself with ashes, 
and stands at the palace gates weeping and lamenting and crying. Sackcloth and ashes show up in several places in the Bible, and we know that it was this uh, Hebrew tradition of a sign of humility, of dependence of God on God, of repentance and a time of mourning. It was this sort of outward expression of really deep spiritual angst amongst the people. And it's exactly what it sounds like. The people would tear their clothes and then put on these sort of rudimentary clothing garments made of this coarse material that was more often used for sacks, for grains, or flour, or something like that. And then they would rub ashes on their face, on their hands, as a reminder of what we say during Lent, from dust you have come, and to dust you shall return. So sackcloth and ashes are this visible sign of mourning and angst and crying out to God. Mordecai in sackcloth and ashes at the palace gates created quite a stir. Enough of a stir that the attendants for Queen Esther went to her and said, do you know what's going on outside of the palace? And Esther learns that it is Mordecai, her cousin, her loved one, who is there at the gates weeping in sackcloth and ashes. At this point, Esther knows nothing of the decree that the king has sent out. She does not know that her people have been destined to be destroyed. All she knows is that her cousin is out there in this symbol of mourning, and it says that she is distressed. And so in response, she gives a gift. She goes and gathers some clothing from the royal palace, and she has sent out to Mordecai so that he does not have to wear sackcloth anymore, but can be clothed in nice garments. But when Mordecai receives this gift, he denies it. This was not what this was all about. He wasn't in the sackcloth just because he didn't have other clothes. Esther had missed the point. Mordecai was wearing the sackcloth and ashes for a deeper purpose. Her gift was misguided. Esther was trying to help and saw her cousin in distress, but she was trying to solve what was really the surface-level problem. She might have been uncomfortable that he was causing quite a scene, and she wanted to release him of that. But in the midst of it, she sent a gift that missed the deeper need that he had. We do this all the time, too. We miss the point, and we try to solve surface-level problems, and sometimes we even make things worse in the process. After Hurricane Katrina, thousands and thousands of Americans sent donated clothing to the country. And many of these donations uh, did not go through charitable organizations uh, like the Red Cross and what have you, but people just sent things. And most of these were, uh, you know, old sort of unwanted t-shirts. And so the mail system got really, really backed up because of all of these boxes coming in of clothing. 
The mail system was so backed up that important things like medications weren't coming through or were getting lost amidst all the other boxes of donated clothing. And then even after things sort of settled down from that initial rush, the market was so flooded with clothing that a lot of local clothing makers and artisans went out of business because nobody needed their clothing anymore. After the destruction of this natural disaster, the problems just kept going on and local businesses were closing and poverty was remaining. And what started off as good intended gifts of clothing ended up causing more harm than good. We do this on individual levels too, where we try to meet perceived needs rather than asking what the real needs are. When Garrett and I do uh, premarital counseling with couples, one of the most common things that we hear about as conflict has to do when one partner wants to uh, discuss a problem or vent and the other partner tries to solve the problem. This might resonate with some of you, but one person will just want to share and be heard and express their problems, and the other one just tries to be practical about it and tell them what to do, and then the conflict just grows and grows and grows. Sometimes we miss the point about what people really need. Esther's gift was misguided in this story. She'd gotten it wrong, but something amazing happens right after. Did you catch this part? Mordecai refuses the clothing, and Esther recalibrates and listens. When Mordecai sends the clothing back, Esther gets curious. She could have gotten mad. She could have gotten defensive and said, listen, I am just trying to help you. You could be killed if you create too much of a ruckus. People could find out our family connection. It could be bad for all of us. I'm just trying to help take my clothing. But instead, she leans in and the text says she went to figure out what is happening and why. Not just taking away his sackcloth, but figuring out the reason he had it on in the first place. Not only that, but maybe there was he tells her for the first time of this decree that the king has sent out that all of their people are to be killed. And now she gets it. She understands that this is a bad enough situation that of course he is in mourning. Of course he is wearing sackcloth and wailing at the gates. This moment, Esther going back to Mordecai after her first gift is rejected, is where I see God in this part of the story. It's a moment of admitting that she was wrong at first and a willingness to change her mind. It's a hard thing to do for many of us. We get stuck at defensive. I see God in this part of the story because there's a willingness on the part of Esther to let her discomfort exist and to instead listen to the real needs behind the problem. When she listens and learns all that is to happen, 
she starts to get involved. And this very next part of the chapter is that familiar verse that we talked about in Bible study this morning, the familiar verse that we talked about last week in the service, where Mordecai says to her, perhaps you have come to this place for such a time as this. It's only because Esther was willing to lean into the curiosity of what was going on with Mordecai that she dares to get involved. And, spoiler alert, as the story goes on, Esther does something about it and her people are saved. All starting with this moment of curiosity. Her willingness to reorient after getting the gift wrong at first. We are called to be people that do the same thing. When we see folks in distress, whether it's loved ones or people in need of charity or the world at large, we need to be willing to sit in that discomfort and to be in relationship and not just jump to something that makes us feel better, but to learn the deeper needs. Fort Street's Open Door program has such a wonderful and rich history, and the long-standing tradition has been to do a big meal on Thursday mornings, a big hot meal that folks are able to come in and get for free. And this has served the needs of this community very well for a very long time. Trish Hubble, our uh, current Open Door director, has been such a wonderful model of this Esther reality. And Trish noticed a couple of years ago, especially in the midst of COVID, that the needs of the city were shifting. That there were more places offering warm food during the days, but there were less opportunities for afternoon food or for other types of services. And so Trish has worked with her team and with volunteers and staff members and and gotten to be in real relationship with people and say, what, what do you actually need and what would be helpful? What are you actually not getting in other places that we might be able to work with together? And so in response, this Open Door program has shifted and we have tried some new things and offered meals later in the day and offered um, other types of services and one-on-one -on -one work with social workers and doctors and provided foot care and showers and all kinds of things because there wasn't this desire to fix a need that we thought people had, but there were relationships with people where we could discern what the needs actually were. Our uh, daughter, Naima, is 17 months old now, and we're getting into the swing of full toddlerhood. And one of the best pieces of advice that I got, that I use every single day, was treat their feelings not as ends to themselves, but as a clue for something deeper. A lot of us see big feelings, and we try to treat the feeling. If someone is sad, we try to cheer them up. If someone is angry, we try to stop the anger or cut it off. But those feelings are actually more than just feelings. They're telling us something deeper. I might be angry because I'm really scared about something. I might need to just be sad, and that's okay. 
When we see big feelings in toddlers or in ourselves or in others around us, we need to be willing to get to deeper needs and not just cover it up. Esther shows us this through her reorientation. Even though God is not named directly in the book of Esther, we see proof of God everywhere. In this chapter, we see God working through Esther's willingness to learn, to change, to be creative. And even though her first gift was rejected, she doesn't get defensive, but goes back to learn more. I wonder this week if we might reflect together on where we are providing relief from sackcloth and where we are providing relief from the reason there is mourning in the first place. Let us be curious about it together and be in relationship as we seek to learn more. Would you pray with me? Holy God, when we see surface-level needs or problems, guide us to do the hard work of discerning deeper need. Lord, our gift-giving might often be misguided, but you know the love behind it, and you've given us the tools to be curious and to lean in. Bless us as we seek to find you, as we seek to find you in the book of Esther. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.